0: Tonight's message is going to be surrounded uh, by the story in Luke chapter 24, and in most liturgical and Christian circles, if you've been in a denomination or if you've grown up in church or you've been around, there's all sorts of things that are said and then responded by the congregation. For example, if I were to say, peace be with you, you would say, and also with you. During the Easter season, we say, he is risen, and the response is, He is he is risen indeed. And so I would love for you to say that, not just because I'm making you, but now ask, this, ask yourself the question, He is risen. And then indeed is like in actuality, in full expression of experience in my life, He has really risen. So it's this declaration, not just the call and response, but like a, a declaration from your soul that He, ha- he really has risen. So if I say, he is risen, you say, he is risen indeed. He's risen deeply here. So let's keep that in mind as we go through our message. Luke 24, let's read this passage. If you're there, um, I will ask you to highlight or underline or however you'd like to take notes. This is the story that is told on the morning of Easter. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices Here He has risen. Okay. (laughs) Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. There's a couple of perplexing things in this passage, three of them that I would like to point out, that all work their way up into this final question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Three perplexing things. First, they went on the first day of the week. You should circle that, highlight that, underline that. Because the entire story and narrative is that Jesus was going to be raised on the third day day. But Luke includes this passage, they went there on the first day of the week. Why the change of phrasing? Then there's something there that I'd like to share with you that I think is really profound. Number two, they were wondering, and that's the NIV translation. I'm going to share with you a little bit of a different perspective of what that word wondering might actually mean, and then we're going to take a deep look at this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? One of the most profound Questions that I think is in this story. So, on the first day of the week. As we mentioned, the day of the week or the day time frame that you're supposed to use to calculate the resurrection is the third day. Je- Jesus talks about that with Jonah. Um, he mentions it in the prophecies that on the third day, and it's something that's very commonly known. So, the question is why is it stated on the first day? Well, I think a hint of why they state and why they shift the phraseology can be found in the book of John, as well as other passages. In the book of John, it has been noticed by scholars and people who study this that there are seven signs. John doesn't have miracles in the same sense. It doesn't use that word. The gospel of John uses the word signs. It's pointers. They are kind of flashing lights to let you know something's going on. And there are seven of them. And if you take a look at the pattern of John and how it's how it's constructed, it almost patterns and mirrors itself after the creation story in Genesis. How many days of creation were there in Genesis? Seven days. And so the chaos that God spoke into and brought new life out of and created something wonderful with purpose and order and direction and beauty and all of that stuff that he did in Genesis chapter 1, John is saying, as well as the other, these other gospel writers, I'm doing the same thing now in jesus so these patterns show up and so if that's the case then all of these signs match the days of the week showing once again that god is renewing recreating his world through the life and the ministry and the teachings of jesus and there's seven signs there and scholars will note there's actually an eighth sign it doesn't stop at seven what's the eighth one that we celebrate today the rising of the dead, which happens when? On the first day of the week. Do you see what's going cool? This is brilliant because the whole ministry of Jesus is the establishment of a recreation of what God is doing in this world. And the resurrection of Jesus on the first day is almost as if they're saying, God is inaugurating yet another recreation. And you and I are living in a whole new new creation, because of the resurrection of Jesus. So just like in Genesis 1, the chaos was there, but then God spoke and new life was brought out of that. Thousands of years later, Jesus shows up, and his life and his ministry mirrors the pattern of that creative narrative and that creative order. And the resurrection is yet another capstone, another marker, another sign to say, guess what, you and I are living yet again in another new creation. It's absolutely beautiful. If you take a look at John 1, how does the entire gospel start? In the beginning was the word. What does that sound like to you? It's not even trying to be subtle. The gospel is clearly shouting. And then I love it in John 21 and 19, that phrase is repeated again. And then as if we need yet another clue. In John chapter 20, verse 15, Mary stands by Jesus, Jesus shows up, and he thinks, she thinks he is the gardener. What did God do in Genesis 1 and 2? He created a garden. (laughs) Brilliant! So for those of us who celebrate the resurrection, this is not just a history thing that happened in the past, This is God speaking into our world and speaking into our chaos to bring about once again a whole new created order. The creative work and the creative act of God that happened in Genesis is happening again in Jesus and then happens again in us. For those of us who follow, who seek after, who follow after Jesus. This is one way of putting it. The word through whom all things were made is now the risen word, through whom all things are being remade. What a beautiful picture of resurrection and the whole narrative of creation all throughout. So that is why I think the phraseology on the first day. Why else? Because while they were still wondering what was going on, this is why the first day is so important. When the women get there, and they see that there's no body there, they are wondering. Now, the word for wondering there in the Greek is aporeo. Say aporeo. aporeo. Now, the word aporeo means a, no, porous, or poro, meaning there's no way, there's no avenue, there's no direction in order to give account of. So when they are there, and they don't see a body there, The word is not just, gee, I wonder what's going on. It's that there is a complete absence and loss as to explain what is going on. They are at a complete loss. They are perplexed, some translations say. They don't know how to explain this event. And this is why I think the first day and why they were wondering goes together. Because they thought they were living in a particular world where they knew how things worked. That death means dead people stay dead. And if you were to take a biology exam and were asked the question, do dead people stay dead? The answer has to be yes. Dead people stay dead. But now they're in a world where dead people don't stay dead. And because it's a whole new world, like a new creation, a whole new created order, there is a loss of words or verbiage to even describe what this reality is. While they were wondering, while they were perplexed, while they were at a loss for words. And I think part of the challenge that each and every one of us who accept and who realize and who understand and grasp at realities that are far, far beyond just regular physical things. We we know that there's something spiritual. We know that there's something transcendent. We know that there's something mystical about this universe. The reason why we have those words is because we too are at a loss to describe what that is. And so we use words like resurrection and mystery, and we use all of those terms because we are grasping at Something that you and I have experienced that is completely different, completely outside of the realm of this reality. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter a reality and a new creation that we don't have words for. And so we're trying to grasp at that. One way to possibly help us understand is asking another question How do you punctuate death? Do you punctuate death with a period? Which means death is the end. See, when the women get there, they realize the period actually doesn't come after death. Maybe it's a comma. Maybe it's an ellipsis. Maybe there's something that comes after death. Maybe there's something more to this life. Maybe the ways in which we think this world actually work are not actually the way this world works. And we're trying to figure it out. That's apareo. One way that I think would be helpful to put it is the resurrection challenges all of our presuppositions, all of our certainties, all of our concessions to the tragedies and disappointments that encapsulate how we fundamentally believe this world works. And I think many of us, we acquiesce to the way that this world works. When I work with students or when you work with people who have gone through tragedy, abuse, disappointment... Horrible mistakes. Oftentimes for us, period. That's clearly how the world works. And then you just accept and you live within that reality. Yeah, sucks to be us. But the resurrection challenges that and says, no, 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 that's not reality. There's a bigger, greater, other reality that comes after all of those things. And that's why I think this question, why do you look for the living among the dead, is so profound. What's wrong with this question that the angel asked the women who are there? What's wrong with this question? They're not looking for the living. The angel asked the women, why are you looking for the living? The women are like, oh, no, I'm looking for the living. (laughs) They're there with spices, ready to anoint a dead body, ready to follow through with the ritual ready to give in to the fact that the person that they love, that they've cherished, that they followed their entire lives is now dead. They're willing to give in to that reality. But the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? And I love this question because I think this is one question, like other questions that exist in our world, that the truth and the statement and the beauty Is not found in answering the question, the beauty and the truth of this statement is found in the very question itself. The fact that this question is asked and the question itself in its construct, in its asking, is illuminating something brilliant, something true, something deep about these women that they themselves didn't even realize. This is one of the best examples that I came up with. Do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Yeah. With our daughters getting married and there's trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh. Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. <laughs> but do you love me? Do I love you? Well. For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golda. The first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. (laughs) But do you love me? Do I love Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? That you love me. (laughs) I suppose I do. (laughs) And I suppose I love Because the questions are pressing each other, and at the point where she says, If that's not love, what is? It's at that particular point where the reality and the truth of the situation, the circumstance, comes to full light. The question doesn't need answering, the question itself is the truth. Let me give you some other examples. May I have this dance? This is not a question that you can answer. This is not a question that demands an inquiry into trying to find out whether or not I can have this dance. The truth is found in the question. How many times do I have to tell you? Children, kids, if you try to answer this question with an actual number, don't. Because they're not looking for an answer. The truth The statement, the reality, is found in the question. And then there's a couple of those found all throughout the Scriptures. Pilate says during the crucifixion and during the trial, what is truth? And we have wrestled with that question for a long time, but I I would propose to you that the truth is actually found in the question. Pilate says, what is truth? Even if I knew truth, would that change the circumstance? Would that change the situation? What is truth? The truth is found in that question. Peter says to Jesus, um, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus doesn't need to answer that question. The truth is found in the question. And then, of course, Jesus in the temple, he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The question itself is the truth. The profundity of what we're trying to communicate is found in the question. And so what I would suggest to each and every one of us during this resurrection season, and as this question is asked by the angels to women and disciples who did and were not looking for the living, they were there to anoint a dead body. The question, why are you looking for the living among the dead, illuminates for us that every single one of us, including them, are looking for the living for the living. The entire journey of what it means to be alive, the entire journey of what it means to be human, is to pursue what is real life. And this is why churches exist, this is why our ministry exists, is because people are searching for all sorts of things that will give them and provide for them life. We're all searching for life. By the way, we're all searching for the living amongst the dead. And I would suggest that every single one of us are in some ways, in many ways, looking for the living. And we're doing it amongst the dead. Let me give you some examples that I thought about. Another way of putting it is, what graveyards do you frequent? What are the dead places, the places where there are dead things or anti-life things that you constantly pursue? Is it food or alcohol or substances? Many, I've talked to many people, and I know that many in this room struggle Um, have struggled or deal with that particular issue. The question is the same. Why are we looking for the living among them? We're searching for something. The question illumines for us that we are searching for living things, accomplishments or status, trying to make it in this world, trying to achieve whatever that next highest bar is or whatever that next rung on the ladder is. Why are we looking for the living among the dead? Ego or pride, trying to bolster our own selves? Why are we looking for the living amongst the dead? Spending, shopping, money, finances, economy, making sure that we have everything exactly the way we need to have it, numbers-wise. Why are we looking for the living amongst the dead? Pessimism or negativism. I deal with students all the time and, and, and... This is one of the most challenging things, that the the entire narrative of my life, the entire narrative and the story that I tell myself, no matter what the circumstances are, life is just a pile of crap. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, this is the reality that I'm going to live out of. Why do we look for the living amongst the dead? Facebook. You laugh But I've heard students say, you know, I posted that picture and I posted that status and nobody liked it. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And then what I call the outtake reel. The reel of our lives, which is the mistakes, the disappointments, the tragedies, the failures in our lives that we have done. Rather than living on this side of creation where God is recreating us anew and trying to rebuild and restore and redeem us, we live on this side where we live over and over and over again, that outtake reel. I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm never going to live up to anything. And whether that's come from parents or our upbringing or from our own selves, we play this reel over over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why are we looking for the living amongst the dead? I suggest to us that this question is deeply profound, that every single one of us are looking for living things, and we do so oftentimes in things that are graveyards. And these women are doing the same thing. They are looking for the living. They don't know it, but that's what they are looking for. So this question challenges our habits. It confronts our graveyards, usurps our perceptions of the world, and points us to the resurrected Jesus, the way of everlasting life? That's what this question does. It demolishes all of those things and says, you will not find life there. Now, it doesn't mean that any of those things necessarily are bad or evil. I want to make sure that we're not suggesting that uh, consuming food or being on Facebook is, you know, you're just walking around like a zombie kind of a deal. But when we are searching for living things in that, that's maybe where we have missed something. Embracing the question frees us from the old habits and security mechanisms that keep us enslaved to a mediocre existence and allows Jesus to recreate in us a new life more powerful than our vices. This is the resurrection story. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he is risen. He's alive. So leave the graveyard leave the tomb. Life is not found here. Life is found in him, and he is alive. And T. Wright puts it this way. And this is the point where believing in the resurrection of Jesus suddenly ceases to be a matter of inquiring about an odd event in the first century and becomes a matter of rediscovering hope in the 21st century. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. That is good news. That addiction does not have the last word. That failure does not have the last word. That injustice does not have the last word. That ruler or that oppressor does not have the last word. Word, that mistake, all of those things that we look for the living amongst the dead, those things do not have the last word. There is a whole new life, a whole new creation, a whole new world. A whole new. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I don't know why that just popped into my head. I got applause on that one. There's a whole new world that is here because of the resurrection. So, the first day of the week points us to the fact. That in Jesus, the entire story that God has been writing ever since the beginning in Genesis is now being recreated again. And we are living in a whole new, new creation for those of us who enter into the resurrected life of Jesus. And while they were still wondering, points us to the fact that we are still grasping for words. We are at a loss to describe fully and completely what this new life is is. It's a whole new world, a whole new existence. And for those of us who have experienced the power of the resurrected Jesus, there are no words to describe it. And why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Why? Because that question illuminates for us that you and I, all of us, are looking for living things. And we often look for them in graveyards so let's set aside, let's leave the graveyards and embrace the power and the majesty and the mystery and the wondrous, loving, gracious, amazing truth that death was defeated, that the resurrected Jesus is here and alive, and that this world, while we think it works in one way, according to the plan and the purposes of God, through Jesus it works in a completely different way. There is no period after death. There is no period after failure. There is no period after injustice. They do not have the last word. So, he is not here. He is risen.